Thank you for the scripture reading. I wanted to speak to you all this morning about not waiting until tomorrow to do the things that you need to do today. Uh, Oftentimes, I think we all let the uh, needs of the world or the things of this world stand in the way of what we all know we really need to do and how we need to approach our relationship with God. It's hard, though. We get caught up in the things, and we come up with excuses for why we need to work longer hours, can't see those friends of ours that we used to be so close to, or or sleep in on a Sunday morning because the kids kept us up all night. Each of the reasons for these excuses, while having some validity, are rooted in the premise that there will be a tomorrow and that we'll be able to change our course, that we will be able to come to God at the last moment, that we'll time it just right, that we'll make amends with our friends and family that we may have estranged over the years, and make our peace on earth and with our maker, all with some sort of foresight that the end is near. But that's not how it actually works. We get one shot to get it right, and we don't know when that window of opportunity will close forever. I thought of speaking about this topic this morning in light of the horrific shooting in Las Vegas this past week. Now, before you flinch, don't worry. I don't plan to wade into gun control, Second Amendment rights, any of that sort of thing, or anything even approaching it. I'll let uh, someone else wade into that topic. I'm approaching it purely from the standpoint of the thought that these people had no idea what was going to happen to them when they woke up that morning. Think of the people that woke up that morning. They probably had breakfast, checked Facebook or email, called a friend, or decided not to because they'd be able to call them later. But they really had no idea what was going to happen. They all went to the concert that evening, probably looking forward to a pleasant evening of music, of time with friends, of time with family, a time to laugh, a time to even cry at some of maybe the songs that hit a particularly emotional moment for them, but went through the entire day not knowing that when the evening came and when the shots fired, that would be their last chance to breathe life on this earth. From James 4, 13 through 17, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. When the shooting began, some of the victims were killed instantly. How many of them do you think were ready at that moment? How many had faithfully followed God, placed their affairs in order, and ensured that those closest to them knew exactly how much they truly loved each of them? Despite the uncertainty of each day, we often put our faith and our relationship with God to the side to deal with the urgent needs of today. Or we let the things of this world distract us from focusing on what truly matters. Most of us believe that we will always have more time at some point in the future to become more faithful or to build that deeper relationship with God. The pursuit of material possession is a big one. We're all guilty of it at some point. No matter what we have or how much, we see someone else with a flashier car, a boat, a bigger house, nicer clothes, and we all think to ourselves at some point, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I had that? So we pursue that next promotion or that next paycheck. We work harder, we work longer hours to make sure that our families 
have every comfort that's possibly available to us. We miss church or don't study the Bible because we couldn't possibly make time for it with everything else going on. We prioritize differently, not based on how we should. Ambition and hard work aren't bad character traits, not at all. And I will admit I'm as guilty of prioritizing work sometimes more than I should. But they need to be tempered, and we need to maintain our focus on what's truly important. God consistently reminds us throughout the Bible that we don't get to take our possessions with us. He isn't keeping a ledger that tallies up our material wealth here on earth to make sure that we have comparable riches in heaven. He doesn't care how big our house is, what kind of car we drive, or what size TV we decided to purchase with our latest raise. From Ecclesiastes, it warns us that everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they carry in their hands. In fact, God warns us that the pursuit of material possessions can not only be harmful to ourselves in this life, but can continue to have negative consequences for us beyond. 1 Timothy 6, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and in perdition. How many people can we think of that were led astray and down negative paths because of the singular focus on accumulating wealth? In some cases, it's not only that they weren't able to make time to attend church or Bible study, but the lengths that they had to go to to achieve that wealth corrupted their morality and pushed them farther from God. If you want to turn with me to Luke 12, we'll be looking at that for a couple of passages today. And we're starting with Luke 12, chapter 13, the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there, will be, there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And for Matthew 19:24, And I get to say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In these verses, we see not only the dangers of focusing on storing up riches to the detriments of spiritual health, we also very actively see the negative consequences of pursuing that wealth. What are we instructed to do instead? For Matthew 6:19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus discussed the cost of discipleship in Luke 9, beginning in verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, 
and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I think all of us can relate to different areas of our life where this has happened, where we feel that we're being called, when we feel that tug and pull on what we need to do to spend more time, to double down on our faith, to really focus on the things that are important. But there's always that pull back. And Jesus here is calling us and telling us that there is no time like the present. There is no time for delay. All the excuses that we use to delay following him are meaningless in his eyes and just distractions. But people worry about being able to provide for their families and all of the things of this world. I worry. I constantly worry about all sorts of things. Job, family, health, you name it. But not only is this not healthy for us, it's ultimately pointless. These things pull us away from being able to focus on God. We need to put our faith in him and trust that he will provide for us and take care of us. Continuing on in Luke 12, picking up in verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. We need to put our faith in God that he will take care of us if we are faithful and follow him. We often spend too much time stressing about the things of this world and focusing on them, and how this impacts our, but this impacts our ability to focus our time and our energy on God. Philippians 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If we put our faith in Jesus, we need not worry. He will provide for us and bring, up the peace, bring us the peace of mind that only he can provide. That sounds great, but what are we to do when we're so busy? Whether it's work, taking these kids to school or soccer practice, grocery shopping, cleaning, going to the gym, you can think of a million other things that intrude in our daily lives. There are all sorts of reasons why we're busy and why we can't spend the time it takes each day to read the Bible and to build that relationship with God. And then because of all the things that I just mentioned, we're exhausted. 
I'll be the first to say, I wake up early with the kids, I get them ready, I go to work all day, we put them down, we straighten the house, everything else. By the time about 8 o'clock hits, I'm pretty much a zombie. I'm exhaustedly tired. It takes a lot out of us just to get through all of the things that happen on a day-to-day basis, just to keep up with the demands of being, uh, being a father, being a husband, being a good coworker. And then Sunday morning rolls around. How many of you have ever rolled over on a Sunday morning, warm and cozy in your beds, and thought, wouldn't it be nice to just sleep in today and relax? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I think everyone, if they're honest with themselves, the thoughts cost, cross your mind from time to time. And we always rationalize it to ourselves by saying, oh, we'll go tonight, or oh, we'll get there next week. But how do we know when or if we will actually have that opportunity? As we started this lesson in Thessalonians, for you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. If you'll turn with me to Acts 24, we're going to briefly look at the example of Felix and his discussion with Paul about the way. From Acts 24, and we'll pick up in verse 22. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Here is a very busy guy, a Roman official. He has enormous responsibilities and power, yet has taken the time to hear directly from Paul about Christ. And while he seems moved by it, he shrugs it off. He figures that he'll be able to summon Paul at some later date to get the additional information as he has likely done to so many others. He doesn't feel the urgency. He's walked right up to the edge, but he's turned back. He said, I'm interested in this, and it sounds important, and it's compelling. But I'm not quite ready, so I'll come back at a later time. There may be some in this room that have been in this situation or are currently in it. You've been attending services, you've been studying the Bible, and are slowly but surely recognizing the word for what it is and what it says. But something is still tugging at you, pulling you back from making the decision you know needs to be made to follow Jesus. I personally grew up uh, going to church sporadically. I was baptized in Episcopalian. I went to a Methodist church. I went to a Lutheran church. I kind of bounced around all over the place. You know, my parents would get us to go for a solid couple-week period leading up to Easter, and then soccer practice, other things would fall off, and um, we would then fall off. In college, I decided to make a study of religion and to truly understand it, but more kind of from an academic perspective. So I took um, all of these religious classes, uh, Jewish history, Judaism and Islam, doctrine and debate in world religions, all sorts of things, fascinating classes. I also took, uh, started doing a Bible study with uh, some of my roommates and some of our friends uh, through something called the Navigators Program that you all may be familiar with. Um, I was engaged, I was interested, but I wasn't quite sold. Again, I was walking right up to the edge, but pulled back by the distractions of college, by everything else going on, by not having the time. Am I not just quite wanting to make that commitment uh, that seemed so, uh, so final in many ways? So when Reagan and I began dating, she was a Christian and I was not. Uh, she's from St. Louis and she was, had been going to the Ellisville Church of Christ out there uh, for many years. And so wanting to impress her, 
I naturally started going to church services with her. Um, and at her encouraging, I also began doing a Bible study uh, with someone from church, uh, a guy in Glen Birdie, Craig Calton, who many of you uh, may actually know. And I will say it was a great experience. So I'm a very inquisitive individual, and I like to ask a lot of questions. And I wasn't asking questions to be negative or poke holes in it. I just want to really understand um, something before um, I sign on the dotted line and before I commit. I'm the person that reads contracts and that sort of thing. Um, so this had been going on for months when Reagan finally sat me down and asked how it was going. She asked what I thought, and I said that at this point I believed. She then asked if I wanted to get baptized, and I hesitated. It was late in the evening. I remember it was about 9 o'clock at night. I was tired, and I knew I had a long day at work the next day. But she persisted. She kind of just very calmly looked me in the eyes and said, I guess I don't understand. If you believe what the Bible says and understand what you need to do, then why would you hesitate? It's a good question. And a light bulb kind of went off. She was exactly right. I was using procrastination, laziness, and excuses to stop me from doing what I needed to do. Don't let the excuses of work, worry, or a busy schedule stop you all from doing what you need to do and pursuing that relationship with God. Relationship, I think, is an important word here in that think of the amount of time that you spend putting into your relationships with friends, with family, the amount of hours you spend at work every week, and then compare that to how much time you spend building that relationship with God. You know, if you had a friend that you only called once every six months or didn't really pay attention to, or as they were constantly talking to you, you were kind of just zoning them out and not really listening, think about what that relationship would look like versus those stronger relationships in your life that you have a strong relationship because there's constant contact, because there's a warmth, a love, a give and take. You're spending the time and effort to really build it up. Because the Bible tells us that the ultimate destination is eternity in heaven in the presence of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if we have faith and if we obey. There's also eternal damnation for those who do not believe and do not obey. So how do we make sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing? One of my favorite verses is 2 Timothy 4.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. By studying the Bible, not just reading it, we can find the answers that we need. The Bible gives us these simple truths. From Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all inherently sinners and separated from God by that sin. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has provided a path to have that relationship with him. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way on that path, and that is through following Jesus. From Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And finally, a passage that most of you are likely familiar with. From Acts 2, 36. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This day is a gift from God. Live it. Those things that you know you are meant to do today, don't put them off until tomorrow. And that doesn't just mean churchy things. Spend time with your family. Play with your children. Call a friend or a relative. Tell someone how much you love them. Serve your neighbors. Don't put off for tomorrow what you know should be done today. Because tomorrow is not guaranteed. Those individuals in uh, Las Vegas, those individuals in the hurricane, people that get in car accidents. We have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring or that if we'll have that extra time. So do what you need to do today to make yourself right with the Lord. There is so much possibility that God has given us this day. Don't watch it go on by and don't put things off for another day. If there's any way that we can help you, won't you please let us know while together we stand and we sing.